I want you to open your Bible to two passages of Scripture, Galatians chapter 6 and Luke chapter 10. Two awesome passages on loving your neighbor and how you do it. Loving your neighbor. Well, how do you do that in your everyday life? Recently, I heard a young pastor who had been on a mission trip say, well, what actually happened on the mission trip was meaningful, but it was not near as important to me as after it was over. We had a couple of days to rest and to relax and to go some places. And the guide who had been with us on the mission trip, who was a Muslim named Mohammed, went with us on this uh, kind of safari-like. And this young guide said, you know, there's something different about you people. He said, I don't know what it is. And this young man said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to give you a Bible. And you start reading that Bible. And I'll ask God to show himself to you. I'll ask Jesus to show himself to you. So this young man got the Bible and began to read it. First night, read seven chapters. Next day, he came to the group of people and said, you know, that, that book is just captivating. He said, I'm beginning to learn so much about who Jesus is. Well, the problem was his father saw him reading this book. He said, well, well what book is that? He said, it's the Bible. And his father said, no, you don't read the Bible. You read the Koran. No, you do not read the Bible. You read the Koran. And the young man said, but you know, there's some things in, 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 in the Bible that are in the Koran. He said, his dad said, well, I'll tell you what you do. You give me one verse from the Bible. And if it speaks to me, then you can keep reading the Bible. The next day, the young man said, here's the verse. Out of Matthew 10, he said, the question was asked, what is the great commandment? Jesus answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Muhammad's father said, that's quite a verse. You keep reading the Bible. And the last word I heard that Muhammad had written his friend and said, I'm right at the door of becoming a Christian. But you know, I got to thinking about love your neighbor as you love yourself. What in the world does that mean? How, how, how do we, I mean, how do we love our neighbor? Who is our neighbor? Well, we're neighbors to somebody. We're in somebody's life. And then there are people that are in our life that are, quote, are our neighbors. And you know, the Bible says some very powerful things about how to love your neighbor. And let me say this, loving your neighbor is not just intellectual and is not just passive. Loving your neighbor is compassionate and it is very, very active. Did you know that Jesus, did you know that in, in Exodus, 
that God gave us four commandments about how we're to relate to our neighbor. Of the Ten Commandments, there were four that directly said, now, this is the way you're to treat people. This is the way you're to treat your neighbor. He said, first of all, and this is quite interesting, he said, thou shalt not kill. Well, but you know, Jesus went a little further, said, if you hate somebody, it's like having murder in your heart. So he said, don't kill. And then he said, in your relationship to your neighbor, don't steal. Don't steal from him. And then he went on and said, and by the way, Moses did in the Ten Commandments, says, by the way, don't lie to him. Don't lie about him. And then, of course, he said, well, don't, don't covet what is theirs. And so it was so significant how we relate to people that he took four of the Ten Commandments and said, well, this is the way you're to relate to your neighbor. But then you get on over in the New Testament and the Word of God is very positive about how we treat our neighbor. I want you to look, first of all, at Galatians chapter 6. Look at what it says. This is a powerful verse. And this is the atmosphere in which believers are to live. And this is the atmosphere that Luke 4.18 is to live in. As God gave me this message yesterday as I worked on it and prayed over it, he said, this is for you, and it's for every individual that will be there tomorrow, but this is for Luke 4.18 as we prepare to move in six weeks into our new building, into a new community, into a new area. This, this, this is a word for you, and it's a word for every individual that will be there, but it's a word for the church. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, if a person is overtaken in a fault... Our trespass. You who are spiritual, restore such a one. He says, now look, here's somebody that's overtaken by sin. Whatever it might be they're overtaken by, it's not good. He said, but now you restore them. You restore them. In a spirit of meekness, in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And man, then he really talks about how we relate to our neighbor. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Hey, you know, I can understand that. I'm to help you bear your burden. And when I do that, I'm fulfilling the law of Jesus, which is the law of love. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes on in that same sixth chap chapter, he said, in verse 4, examine yourself, your own work, and you will have rejoicing in yourself alone and not in another. And then he goes on down and says in verse uh, 9, don't miss this, do not grow weary while doing good. In due season, we shall reap that investment you put in people's lives, the good that you do for people. In due season, we will reap if we do not lose heart, if we don't faint, if we don't give up. And then he said it in verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially the household of faith. I see there a tremendous word from God on how to relate to our neighbor. 
hey, we restore people when they stumble. And we, and we bear their burden. And every time we have an opportunity, we do good to them. But then the great passage on uh, how we relate, how we love our neighbor, is in Luke chapter 10. Turn over there. In fact, the question was asked of Jesus, who is my neighbor? You can't get any more personal than that. Well, what it was, there was a, a, a young lawyer who said to Jesus, he said, uh, what, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, this is Luke uh, 10, verse 26. Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? He answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and your mind, and your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to this young lawyer, You have said well. You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. Now, Jesus knew this man could not do this unless he had the power of God in his life. But he said he, that, that, that's what happens when Jesus becomes real in your life and you have the power of God in your life. You are able to love God and you are able to love your neighbor. But this lawyer wanting to justify himself said, who is my neighbor? Now you need to ask that question. Who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And Jesus went on and he told the story. And I love it and you do too of the Good Samaritan. All right, look at verse 30. And just listen to this now. And I want to show you a man who loved his neighbor as himself. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. And they stripped him of his clothing. They wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked <laughs> and then passed by on the other side. Now, you know, this, this is not a pretty scene. A bunch of robbers have beaten this man up. He's wounded. He's bleeding. He's half dead. And two people come by and look at him, and they keep on moving. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. Now, get this. When he saw him, he had compassion on him. What a statement. He had compassion on him. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and set him apart on his own animal, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day, when he departed... He took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, when I come, I will repay you. And then Jesus said, he, he's the one that told the story, Which of the three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among thieves? He said, He who showed mercy on him. Now listen to what Jesus said. Go and do likewise. Now there are two cases where God tells us how to respond to our neighbor. If one's overtaken in a fault, you restore him. And as you have opportunity, do good. And then the other is, here's a, a man who is wounded and bleeding, and, and, and this person had compassion on him and ministered to him where he was on the side of the road.
There are a number of truths that I want to say to you this morning about what it means to love your neighbor and how you do it. First of all, we've got to understand that we're all needy people, everybody in this room. Nobody has it all together. No, nobody bats a thousand. I'm telling you, every one of us in our own way, we have deep-seated needs in our lives. The truth is known. If we knew everything about everybody, we'd say, my heavens, we, we're, we're a needy group. And by the way, we are. We're all needy people. And, and I want to remind you that uh, nobody's an island. Nobody's an island. You say, well, I, I don't really, I, I don't need anybody to bind up my wounds and pour in oil and wine and put me, on, put, take, put me in their car and take me to the doctor. I, I don't need anybody to do that. I can take care of myself. Well, and you say, certainly, if, if I get overtaken by a fault, I, I can handle that. But see, you, you, you're wrong there. No one is an island. And as needy people, we desperately need Jesus. But I'm going to tell you something right now. We need each other. And if there's one thing that there must be found in the church, it is a place where needy people can come and find people that love them and accept them where they are and minister to them and help them to become what God wants them to be. We're not a bunch of Pharisees sitting together judging people and saying, well, my, my, aren't they bad? Isn't that awful? I'm telling you, we're a bunch of people who know what it is to be needy. We know what it is to have a broken heart. We know what it is to have need. And we know what it is to have compassion on people that God brings into our place. Well, Brother Fred, I want God to bring everybody in our place that looks just like I look and talks just like I talk and acts just like I am. Well, God help us if he does. We don't need that. I don't want anybody different coming in. Well, the Samaritan was different. He was a half-breed. He wasn't a Jew and he wasn't a Gentile. But he found a man laying on the side of the road and he had compassion on him. And the religious person passed by and the Levite passed by, but he didn't. And God made it clear, if somebody's overtaken with a fault, you go to them. Now, let me tell you something. There's a passage that shows you how much we need each other. And if you have an independent, self-sufficient spirit today, I pray that God will show you that you're absolutely wrong. In the book of Ecclesiastes, I want you to listen. I'm going to begin reading in chapter 4, verse 9. No man is an island. We're all neighbors, and we're all to love each other. And we're all to eat, meet each other at that point of need and have compassion and minister to each other. It says in Ecclesiastes 4, two are better than one because they have a good reward of their labor. If they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls. Now, that, that means a lot to you when you're older, don't you? <laughs> Boy, I sure hope somebody's here when I fall down the steps. It's not if I'm going to fall, it's when. He said, you, you, hey, it's two, better to have two than one. Because if you fall, who's going to lift you up when you fall down? There's no one to help him. And again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. And how can one be warm alone? Now, that, that's pretty good, isn't it? I, don't you always wish that your mate would get in the bed and warm it up before you get in? 
I don't like to get under cold sheets. But he said, how are you going to keep warm if you're by yourself? And, and, and he goes on and talks about, hey, look, two are better than one. And then he said this, uh, though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. Hey, isn't it good to have somebody you can call when you're going through the crisis and say, would you pray for me? Would you pray for my son? Would you pray for my daughter? Would you pray about my job? Isn't it good to know, hey, I, I got somebody. It says here in, in this verse, it says, Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. If any two shall agree on anything, it shall be granted of our Father in heaven. And then it says a threefold cord. Two people plus Jesus. Two people plus God. A threefold cord is not easily broken. Have you ever wondered why you buy something new and they got these tags on them? I mean, they got more tags than Carter's got liver pills. I mean, i never seen so many tags on things. And, and you say, well, it's no problem. And you try to break it off. And I don't believe Samson could break the string that's holding it on that garment. In fact, if you're not careful, you'll cut your finger trying to cause it's sharp. He said, but a threefold cord is not easily broken. So, I mean, it's obvious that we are to love our neighbor. And it's obvious that we need each other. Well, let's go on and look at this. Now, there are two kinds of neighbors. Two kinds of them. Now, all neighbors are needy, okay? I'm a neighbor. You're a neighbor. We're all needy. We know that, okay? We're not an island. We need Jesus above all. We need the Word of God above all, but we need each other. And that's why the church is a body. There are two kinds of needy neighbors. The first one is the neighbor... That was afflicted by someone else. His affliction, his trial, his heartache, his challenge, his difficulty came from the outside. And I don't like this word because there are many people who, who act this way, but it's really not true. They are, they consider themselves as victims. But now I want to say this to you. There are many, many people that are our neighbors whose affliction has come from the outside. And we need to be aware of that. And we certainly need to have compassion on them. I want to say one thing about this man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was going along and minding his own business. And some robbers just absolutely beat him up and, and, and half killed him and left him lying on the side of the road. That affliction that was on him came from the outside. You know, and of course we live in a society that say, well, he shouldn't have been traveling down that road. Well, quit being a, a judging everybody about what they do. Will you please quit that? He ought to have had more sense than to go down that road. Well, he didn't, he went, the question is he went down it, okay? And a bunch of thieves beat him up and left him half dead. And there are those whose difficulties, heartaches, challenges come from being afflicted by others, but then there are other neighbors whose heartaches and challenges and afflictions come by their choices. See, there are two kinds of neighbors. Those who are afflicted from the outside and those who have afflicted themselves. I want to say this to you with a broken heart. 
There are many, many people today that are wounded on the side of the road, bleeding, and they have been afflicted by other people. Have you ever heard of the word abuse before? Abuse. Seemed like I didn't hear much about that word when I was growing up. But man, that's all I hear about today. Abuse. And to be truthful with you, uh, it doesn't just happen outside the church. It can happen in the church. For example, think about the husband who constantly verbally abuses his wife. That's ungodly. We're to love each other. We're to encourage each other. We're to bless each other. We're to point people to, to let them know that there's hope in any situation that there is. Or, or, or think about the woman who has no respect for her husband and, and constantly puts him down and compares him to others. You know, I'm telling you, I, I know physical abuse is bad, but I'm going to tell you right now, verbal abuse will destroy a person. It'll break their heart. It'll get them to the place that they don't feel like they're worth anything to anybody. You say, but Brother Fred, they're just words. Hey, the Bible says there's life and death in the power of the tongue. I found this about this, the different uh, male and female. Men can say things to men, and we get over it pretty quick. But you can say something to your wife, and she may get over it in 10 years, but it'll probably take that long. Because words mean a whole lot more to women than they do to men. Well, of course, I don't want anybody to cuss me out. I ain't gonna be, I'm not going to say, whoopee, they cuss me out. But still, I'm going to get over it pretty quick. But I'll tell you one thing, brother. <laughs> I guarantee you a woman can remember what you said. Probably, I, I never will forget there was this uh, couple that came to see me. And he sat there and for 25 minutes told her everything she had done wrong for the last 25 years. He was doing the talking. And she said to him, well, why didn't you ever tell me that? You never told me. He said, I thought you knew it. Oh, that's called communication. Isn't that a way to build a good marriage? See, there's verbal abuse. And, and I'll tell you, we, we need to have compassion on people. You see, I was raised in a home where I had a mother that loved me and a father that loved me. And, and they encouraged me. But, but I know people that they never could, never could please their father or, or, or they, they felt beat down by them. And, 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 and it, it's just amazing. I heard a story this week of a, a lady who had an eating disorder and, 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 and she was real brilliant, was off at college and came back and she told her family that she had a, an eating disorder and, and, and they, they went to th therapy to try to find the root of it, to try to find the root of it. And finally she looked at her daddy and said, the reason... I felt like you always wanted me to be a football player, and I was a girl. And the father said, I fell on my face and asked her to forgive me. Sometimes we have expectations. And, and I'm telling you, there are people that are our neighbors who have been afflict, afflicted, not by their choice, but by sometimes intentional abuse and sometimes unintentional abuse. Husbands abuse wives, wives abuse husbands, parents abuse children, children abuse and break the heart of parents. Employees know how to abuse employees. I had a young man call me recently, and he had two problems. He said, one, I've got some physical problems, and, and I really desperately need prayer. He said, but another thing, I'm going through a tremendous difficult time at work because of how people are treating me. And he was subject to abuse. 
You say, well, Brother Fred, we shouldn't be so sensitive. Well, I don't want to have a hard heart, do you? I want to shut my emotions off and put them in the closet. I want to be able to feel. And so what we've got to understand is there are lots of people that are neighbors. And they have been afflicted by robbers and left by the side of the road, bleeding and half dead. So what are we going to do? Are we going to pass by on the other side? We said, well, isn't that a shame? That's a shame. Boy, I sure hate that that person went through that. And we just keep on going our way. I mean, is that loving your neighbor as yourself? Why is it? Why is it that sometimes we pass by on the other side? I mean, why do we do that? When it's obvious that somebody's reaching out and, and they need a word of encouragement, a word of hope, a word that points them to Jesus, a word that gives them the word of God, that they can get beyond that abuse, whether it was physical, sexual abuse, or verbal abuse, or, what, or mental. It doesn't, somehow they, they, they need a, a, a twofold cord. Uh, they need somebody to pick them up when they've fallen down. Do you understand? Why is it that we don't do that sometimes? Well, you say, Brother Fred, I'm too busy. I guess that's what the priest said. Well, I, I've got a large church, so I'm just going to pass by on the other side. I hope you, hope you make it. Maybe, that's what, maybe the Levite had another appointment. But now here, sometimes some things take priorities over. And, and he said, well, I'm, I'm sure I wish I had time. So many times we know what God wants us to do. We don't do it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So many people say, well, I got my own problems. Well, welcome to the club. We all got our own problems. That's why it says, bear one another's burdens. You know when you get well, when you start investing your lives in other people. Did you know that it's in giving that you receive? It's in sharing that, you know, you know one of my favorite verses? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. What goes around comes around. Have you ever noticed that? But we get too busy or, 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 or we say, well, I've got my own problems to deal with. And, 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 and sometimes we're just absolutely plain selfish. You're never more like Jesus when you stop and help the person by the side of the road. You're doing what exactly God told you to do. Let the Spirit of Christ in you love your neighbor as you love yourself. See, that's what, that's what we're all about. That's what we're all about individually. And that's what we're all about as a church, you know. That's what it's all about. You see, it's about worshiping God, yes. Worshiping God, exalting Jesus, loving God, loving Jesus. And amen, but I'm telling you, it's not only loving God and loving Jesus, it's loving people that are created in the image of God. The Samaritan did what he could. He went the second mile. In Galatians it says, as you have the opportunity, do good to all men. You say, well, Brother Fred, how, how, how can this work out practically in my life? When I minister to those who have been afflicted from the outside or who have gotten to a place in their life where they have a need. You know, Jesus made it absolutely clear. That loving your neighbor is not just intellectual. Uh, it's 
compassionate and it's volitional. Would you listen to this in Matthew? It's a great, great passage. Chapter 25. And you know, we, 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 uh, I could start this and you could finish it. I, I, and you, you know it well. But I want you to listen to it. In Matthew 25, th- this is the way you love your neighbor. Th- this is the way you do it. I, 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 it you know, it's not hard to figure out. In Matthew 25, verse 34. Then the king said to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then he says it. You know, I was hungry. And you gave me food. You know, I was thirsty. And you gave me a drink. You know, I was a stranger by the side of the road, beaten up. And you took me in. You know, I was naked. And you gave me some clothes. I was sick. And you came and you visited me. I was in prison. And you came to me. Well, Lord, when did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren. A robber, I mean a a man on the side of the road, a stranger beaten up and left half dead. Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers. The least of these my brothers, he said, you did it to me. You say, well, I knew one thing. If I knew Jesus was hungry and if I knew he was naked and if I knew he was sick and, and if I knew he was in prison, I guarantee you one thing, uh, nothing could stop me from getting to Jesus. Well, let me just tell you one thing he said. If you want to do it to me, do it to the neighbor that I put in your life. The worst thing that could happen to Luke 4.18, we get in a new building. We love each other. Things go well, but somehow we forget that all around us and outside us and inside us, there are people laying on the side of the road that have been beaten and they're half dead and they need somebody to wrap up their wounds and to pour in oil and wine and take them to the end. Well, we can't become introverted. See, the problem today with the church is it's all about building the institution and all about building the church. and all. No, no, it's all about, yes, worshiping God and loving God and loving each other. But it's always also about looking for people on the side of the road, just looking for them because they're there and they're beaten up and they're bleeding and they don't have anybody. Everybody else is passing them by. But who shouldn't pass them by? The, the people of God, God's children, because you see, we love our neighbor. As we love ourselves. But let me just go on to say this. There's another kind of neighbor. And that's the neighbor who is, has afflicted themselves. <laughs> if a, in Galatians 6.1 it says, If a brother is overtaken in a fault. He's been overtaken. He's made some wrong choices. If he's overtaken in a fault, then you who are spiritual, you go to him and you restore him. You restore him. 
You don't go over there and condemn him. You don't go over there and beat him up. You don't go over there and say, I can't believe you did that. I mean, no. I mean, he, he, he's already, he knows the trouble that he's in. He knows that. He knows he's missed, messed up. Hey, you ain't got to tell people they messed up. They know they messed up. And, and, and so what you need to go and say, listen, it's obvious that something's not right in your life. Something's wrong. I, I'm not trying to intrude. But I want you to know, I, I want to help you get beyond this. I want to help you get beyond this. You see, I, I, I mean, I want to bear your burden. That's exactly what it says in verse 2 of Galatians 2. I want to bear your burden. I, I want to help you get there. I, I'm not just going to sit back and judge you and point my finger at you and say, boy, he messed up, didn't he? Dear God, we all mess up. He said, you go to him in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. Boy, I want to tell you, we got people all around us, and perhaps some here this morning. Listen, you made some wrong choices, and, and you found out something about sin. Sin takes you further than you intended to go. It keeps you longer than you intended to stay. And it costs you more than you intended to pay. And you find yourself saying, I'm backing out of that. I'm getting out of that. But you find, man, that you are in a whale of a battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And you can call it addiction. You can call it anything you want to. But you know one thing, that you're not in control in that area of your life. And if you ever needed somebody to pray for you, and if you ever needed somebody to understand you, and if you ever needed somebody to encourage you and say, yes, that's wrong. I know it's wrong. It's a sin against the holy God but I want to tell you the same God that forgave me is the same God that can forgive you and the blood of Jesus that took care of my sin is the blood of Jesus that can take care of your sin and it says here if a brother is overtaken in the fault you go and restore him in a spirit of gentleness spirit of gentleness listen I, I, I regret the choices you made. It breaks my heart that you're there. But my prayer is, you don't have to stay there. That's why Jesus came, and that's why he died, and that's why he rose again. So you don't have to stay there. You can get from there to here. One of the most moving stories I ever heard, and I couldn't believe it when he told it, was Mike Gilchrist. Mike Gilchrist was a godly, godly man. Wonderful preacher. Preached for us many times at Cottage Hill Baptist. Loved him. He, he, he just was such a man of God. But you know, when he was growing up as a teenager, his daddy was an alcoholic. And it was an embarrassment to Mike. It was an embarrassment to him. He, he didn't want his friends to know that his daddy was an alcoholic. And he said one day he'd been out with his friends, and they brought him home in their car. And they're laying on the, man, this is awful. Whew, breaks my heart. Laying on the sidewalk. Passed out drunk was his daddy. And Mike Gilchrist said he was so embarrassed, so wounded that his friend saw that, that he went over there and he put his foot right on his daddy's head. And his daddy looked up to him and said, Son, don't push me down any further. I'm down as far as I can go. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. 
There are a lot of people in this world that are bound. Bound. And they're down about as far as they can go. And they don't need for us to push them down. They need for us to love them and to pray for them and to point them to Jesus and to give them hope from the Word of God because they get no hope from this world, get no hope from this world. I'm telling you right now, the world will use you up and spit you out and walk off and leave you on the side of the road. And those who were friends when you had money and were in the right place, they're walking out. Nobody's walking in. I think of all the people that are bound by alcohol. Many of them are closet alcoholics. I think of those who are bound by prescription drugs, addiction. I think of those who are bound by pornography. In fact, they had a um, thing at the Southern Baptist Convention where they had a booth and they're getting a million men to sign up and say that they will not look at pornography and will do everything to get their friends out of it. It's an epidemic. It's an epidemic. You know, more money is spent on pornography than any other sport, any other thing. Billions of dollars. Billions. There may be some of you sitting right here. If the full light of day would shine in your heart, you'd have to say, God, have mercy on me. I never thought I'd get hooked by it. I never thought I'd get there, but you are. So whether it's alcohol or drugs or sexual addiction or or wrong choices. Let let me just say this. Many times as a church, the main thing we do is got to love these people, be open to these people, and say, we want to help you, and, and we'll do everything we can. But then, you see, God has raised up places all across this city that give help to people like that. How many people have we asked to go to the Mission of Hope? And, and, and they've dealt for three months with their alcohol problems. And many have come out free. Some didn't make it. But thank God for all who did make it. Or, or women that have gone to the Home of Grace in Saraland. Or others who've gone to the Rescue Mission. And they have a year's program. And, and, and there's, there's a ministry here for women who through abuse uh, can go and be safe with their children. You see, they're, they're arms of the church. But see, we, we cannot say to them, well, you take care of those people. No, under God, we are to take care of those people. Amen? You say, but Brother Freddie gets messy. Well, it sure does. <laughs> but I never, I mean, Jesus was always cleaning up some kind of mess. You see, there are those who are needy neighbors because they've afflicted themselves. You know what it says in Galatians 6? Listen to what he says. This is what I'm talking about when you afflict yourself. It says, be not deceived. Right there in that sixth chapter of Galatians. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. If you sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, you will of the Spirit reap life eternal. So we're dealing with people who never intended to get where they are. But there they are. So they're reaping what they sowed. So what do we do? Pass by on the other side? No. Restore them. You try to restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Because that could be you. That could be you. But for the grace of God, that would be you. 
And you restore them in a spirit of meekness, considering yourself lest you be tempted. And so let, 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 let Luke 4, 18 be a place where we love our neighbor. Those who have been afflicted by others and those who have afflicted themselves, but they're loved, they're encouraged, they're prayed for. And, and we encourage them, we point them to Jesus, we give them the word of God, but we also get them help, at, at, whether, whether, whatever it might be, whatever's available to help them get beyond that where we've done all that we can do physically, then there are other places that can pick up and go on. But we never turn our back on them. We, if the church turns their back on them, you, I don't have to tell you what the world will do. You know, that's a great verse. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor. As you love yourself. Would you bow your heads with me? You say, Brother Fred, that kind of makes me uncomfortable. I, I like my life tidy and I got enough on my plate. I, I don't want to get involved with others. Well, th- that's called a self-centered life and you live in your own world. But I want to give you a verse. Blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. Thank God there's going to be there someone for you who won't be too busy, who won't mind getting messy a little bit to help you out. So you just be sensitive. You be like the Samaritan. You look at this person and have compassion on them. You say, well, Brother Fred, they made wrong choices. Okay, so we got to help them be healed and get out of those choices. Let's truly be a people that love God. And love people. Man, that's pretty much what a church is supposed to do. To love God. Worship Him. Adore Him. Glorify Him. And then love the people God created in His image.